again, I've enjoyed this series that we've, uh, that we've been in, and uh, the title of our series is What is Truth? And uh, we've been kind of trying to, kind of the thrust of it is kind of take a uh, somewhat of an academic type of level and, you know, get us to understand that from a, uh, from a biblical perspective. And we've talked about how really truth comes all the way down from God because God is truth and Jesus Christ is truth and the Word of God is truth. And uh, last week, we kind of tried to understand what the uh, different types of mindsets that, uh, that we experience in our world and how we're kind of living in a, in a post-modern uh, type of society. And I tried to define that for you. If you haven't been able to uh, be a part of all of the, uh, the messages, uh, they are on the website. You can get uh, all three of the original uh, parts. This is going to be part four of this series. Uh, and then also, if you want to download the app, they're also there and uh, listen to those and to kind of uh, catch yourself up to speed. Uh, but this morning, we're going uh, to kind of, we're going to address the idea in the question of, is uncertainty the new truth? Is uncertainty the new truth? And the reason why I titled the message that is because Remember, postmodernism, and that's certainly what we're living in, started in the uh, late uh, 1980s. That's, that's kind of that's what they're shoveling, is that everything is uncertain. And so has that become the new truth? I believe that is in our society. But the answer to that question is, is absolutely no. And I look forward to kind of helping you with that today. But I want to ask you another question uh, by just kind of, kind of way of introduction. And is uncertainty synonymous with humility? Is uncertainty synonymous with humility? Most postmodernists seem to think so. They definitely equate certainty with arrogance. Remember the several questions that I asked you last week that if you believe Jesus is the only way, and we're going to get into some of those, and if you believe in the sanctity of life and you believe that, uh, that, uh, you know, we, that there shouldn't be sexual relationships outside of marriage and those types of things, if you, if you take those stances, then you're arrogant. If you believe marriage ought to be between a man and a woman, if you believe uh, that you know, God created man as a man, and God created woman as a woman, and we don't, get to, we, we, don't get, we don't get to change those. If you believe those types of things in a postmodern society, you are deemed as arrogant. And so is uncertainty the way of being humble? Is it synonymous with humility? And uh, I do not believe that's the case. The belief that no one can really know anything for certain has emerged as virtually the one dogma that postmodernists are willing to tolerate. Uncertainty in our world is the new truth. Doubt and skepticism have been canonized, so to speak, have been lifted up as expressions of humility. Right and wrong have been redefined in terms of subjective feelings. How do you, how do you feel today in personal perspectives. They say, well, you know, this is just, this is just the way I feel, and so I am going to act this way. This is the way that I see it, and so I'm going to, you know, I'm to govern my life based on my own feeling, based on my own perception, and you can't challenge that. There's, a, there's this level of uncertainty. I believe those views have also infiltrated the church. In some circles within the visible church, cynicism is now regarded as the most grand of all virtues. 
the relentless tone of angst against too much certainty pervades every modern faction within modern churches. Believing that there's a heaven, hear me, and a hell. Going to open up the series on a series, uh, uh, open up the year with a series entitled Heaven and Hell. And can we really stand that certain on those things? And, and, but people don't, people don't want you to stand that certain. And it's kind of, it's a topic that has kind of left churches sometimes. No wonder the emerging church began as a self-conscious effort to make Christianity more suitable to a postmodern culture. Emerging Christians were determined to adapt the Christian faith, to adapt the structure of the church, to adapt our language of faith, and even the gospel message itself to the ideas of the rhetoric that is found in a postmodern society. And so how has that happened? How have we gotten to the place where if you stand for anything that is biblical, you are deemed as a fool? You are deemed as an ignorant man or woman. How, is that, how has that happened? And so I want to kind of give us a little bit of an education here uh, this morning before I try to drive home the application point towards the end of the message. First of all, it happened by abandoning orthodoxy. Or can I put it another way? by abandoning the foundations, abandoning the convictions, the central postmodern propositions and bedrock convictions of biblical Christianity, things like a firm belief in the inspiration and the authority of Scripture, a belief like a sound understanding of what the true gospel is, a full assurance of salvation, a settled confidence in the lordship of Christ, and the narrow exclusivity of Christ as the only way of salvation. Those types of beliefs, those types of foundations, I've honestly, they've fallen on hard times. Most don't believe that the Bible's inspired anymore. Most don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Most don't believe that, that, that you can keep your salvation as if somehow our salvation was up to us. What? Then it's not up to us to keep it. We're kept by the power of God, Peter tells us. Those types of beliefs, the, the bedrock of our convictions, you know what? They don't jive well with postmodern contempt for clear authoritative true claims doesn't it doesn't jive well the medium of postmodern conversation instantly and automatically changes the message and the rhetoric of the emerging church movement reflected that done quite a bit of a little bit of reading and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go through some of these quotes with you slowly but I want to quote first of all a man by the name of Brian McLaren and his book is called A Generous Orthodoxy, summed up his view on orthodoxy, certainly the reliability of Christian truth by saying this. Notice what he says. How ironic that I am writing about orthodoxy, which implies to many a final capturing of the truth about God, which is the glory to God. So he says, you know, how, how funny is it that I'm, that, that, that I'm writing that, 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 that there's some finality about God? And he goes on to say, 
sit down here next to me in this little restaurant and ask me if Christianity, my version of it, your version of it, the Pope's version, or whoever's version, ask me about Christianity and its orthodox, meaning true, and here's my honest answer. Here's what he says. A little, but not yet. The claims of God and the claims of the Bible, some of the things that I kind of gave you there in, in the introduction, is, is Christianity true? Here, here's what he says. He says, if we were sitting down in a restaurant, ah, some of it, but we're not quite there yet. He goes on to say, assuming by Christianity you mean the Christian understanding of the world in God, Christian opinions on our soul, on the text, and culture, I'd have to say that we probably have a couple things right, but a lot of things wrong. By the way, this is a Christian book. McLaren suggested that clarity itself was a, of no value. He clearly referred to, he, he used his ambiguity and, and evasion. And all of his books, therefore, are full of that double talk where you read it and it doesn't really make any sense. Honestly, we should probably read that quote again and then it kind of alludes to us. It's all this double talk. In his book, he says, he admitted to this, in the next quote, Nick, he says, I have gone out of my way to be provocative, mischievous. Danielle and I were kind of going over uh, my message last night and, and um, I asked her, I said, you know what mischievous means? And we instantly looked towards Blake. <laughs> I don't have no clue why. I, you know, just you know, sometimes you can be mischievous. How in the world he jumps out of a, you know, out of a um, bounce house on his head. You know, he's a little, he's a mischievous kid. And so she kind of knew what it is. He says, hey, hey, in my writings, I want to be provocative. I want to be mischievous and unclear reflecting my belief that clarity is sometimes overrated and that shock, obscurity, playfulness, and intrigue carefully articulated often stimulate more thought than clarity. So a common theme that runs through most of McLaren's writings is the idea of great danger in the quest to be right. I don't believe there is great danger in trying to find out what is right. I believe you and I ought to seek what is right. In a world of uncertainty, in a world where everything and all of the claims that you make are falling on hard times, men and women, I'm kind of getting way ahead of myself, you and I, we need to know what we believe. Postmodern influences have come into the evangelical movement through all avenues. Another book that was just, it was amazing. Beyond Foundationalism, Shaping Theology in a Postmodern Context. When I say amazing, it was just, it was shocking of a book. But Shaping Theology in a Postmodern Context by Stanley Grentz and John Frankie. It was published in 2001, and man, did it make a significant impact on our evangelical, so to speak, academic community. But as the subtitle suggests, the book pleads for a whole new approach to theology. The approach is, hey, let's, let's contextualize it to our culture. What kind of culture are we living in, though? That's why I preached last week on 
on a modernistic or a postmodernism world. We're living in a postmodern culture and world that says nothing is true. And so uh, Stanley and Frank, that they're saying, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to, uh, we, we, we need to twist this. We need to twist our theology. In his opening sentence, here's what Grant and Frankie's note says. The categories and paradigms of the modern world are in, what is his word that they use? Collapse. They're acknowledging it. They're saying that the world around us is collapsing, and they're going to write a book who's honestly really... A lot, of our, a lot of our new churches, listen, they're just literally just lock, stock, and barrel after the culture. And they're saying it's collapsing. And we've got to shape our theology to that. We've got to shape our convictions to that. Oh, it, it, it gets worse. I'm going to keep, we're going to keep kind of going through these. They go on in this, in this book to assert that Christian theology, therefore, needs to be rethought, needs to be revised. It needs to be adapted to keep in step and remain relevant in these changing times. Now, hear what I'm about to say. Theology and methodology are two entirely separate things. The way in which you might bring about the truth, theology, that is going to, in a sense, change over time. None of us do church like they did in the 1850s. Can I get an amen for that? Okay, we didn't. All right, and so churches, uh, you know, are, are, are different things. When you open up the Psalms and, and you read about even some of the, the, the way that they worshiped in the Psalms and the high symbols and the timbrels, some of those things, we get shocked today on what they, on what they literally mean, okay? Sometimes we say, hey, if I, ever, if I ever saw a drum set in a church, you know, I, I'm out of here. I, I, don't, I don't have that desire, but listen, you, you, you go into Scripture and you learn those things, but it's the truth that is being spoken of in the worship, in the, in the preaching. And so I understand that methodology can change. But listen, theology doesn't need to be rethought. It doesn't need to be revised. It doesn't need to be adapted so that we can stay in step, so that we can, so that we can all of a sudden come behind a pulpit and say, you know what, uh, yeah, marriage is not quite between a man and a woman anymore. No. What does God say? We okay this morning? All right? I feel like I preached really hard last week, and where is everybody? Maybe it's because we're not having food. I'm just kidding. Teasing. 100% kidding. Thank you for being here. Let me give you a second reasoning. They abandoned orthodoxy, or they abandoned the theology, the foundation. Secondly, they abandoned certainty. Abandoning certainty. Grentz and Frankie, they argue that the Spirit of God, hear me, they, in, in this book, the Spirit of God, and I'll, I'll get you to quotes here in a moment, they, that he speaks through Scripture, Amen to that. Tradition and culture. And theologians or studiers of the word must seek to hear the voice of the Spirit in each and every one of them. Here's one thing I will assure you of. God does not speak through tradition. He does not speak through culture. No, he speaks through Scripture. He, he speaks to us. And Scripture is supposed to then change tradition. Scripture is then supposed to then bring into culture. It doesn't go vice versa yet. They're saying, hey, this is all uncertain. Let's, let's attack certainty. And so what that means is that God is always speaking. There's, here, here's a theological term for it, open revelation. No, 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 no. 
God's done revealing. Okay? Moreover, since culture is constantly in flux, Gretz and Frankie, they say that it is right and fitting for Christian theology to be in a perpetual state of transition, to be in perpetual upheaval, that we're constantly changing things. And no, no issue should ever be regarded as finally settled. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that heaven is settled in Jesus. Amen? I'm glad that that doesn't change next week. I'm so glad that I don't have to, you know, go, uh, you know, walk on my knees somewhere. I'm not trying to pick on religions, but I'm glad I don't have to walk on my knees somewhere. How many times do I have to do that? How many years do I have to do that? I'm so glad that it was settled completely. It is finished in Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm glad that the, 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 that the you know, uh, that, um, Robert Canney says that the, you know, that this, this, kind of, this, the, this game of hierarchy, that in Christ God has no interest in any of that. We can't gain any more favor with God when you accept Christ and the resurrected body. Listen, when, when you trust him as your Savior, the whole game ends. God says it's finished. I'm glad that it is settled. The obvious casualties of all of this, of all of any sure and certain knowledge of biblical truth, the casualties of that are people. And Frank... Frankie and Grants, they're okay with that. On page 30 of their book, it says, We are convinced that at every desire, that every desire to gain a fixed and positive knowledge of any truth actually belongs to the collapsing categories of enlightenment rationalism. Can I just put it in plain men's terms? It's constantly changing. Certitude normally comes under repeat attack in their book. This culminates in the incredible claim that certainty is ultimately incompatible with hope. Now, of course, there are some things that we do not see clearly. I, I get that. There are some things that we still hope for. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And so there's some things that you and I, we don't see fully clearly. I get that. I understand that. But it seems rather far-fetched to conclude that there is nothing that we can know with true and a settled certainty. That is ridiculous for you and I to live life as if nothing is true, as if nothing is certain, if we cannot stand on everything. It just doesn't make any sense. Some readers of the book have found that the grentz frankie argument is very persuasive. In another book that I'm not going to necessarily quote, it's called The Departing. They reference a man by the name of John Armstrong. Armstrong is a writer. He's a conference speaker. He's a, he's a former pastor who at one time defended Christian theology, defended good biblical theology, and he was a student of revival. The name of his ministry is Reformation and Revival, and it used to reflect that. But after reading Beyond Foundational, Foundationalism, Armstrong wrote a series of articles in his ministry newsletter declaring that he's changed his mind about several points of his theology, about Christology, about salvation, about all those different kinds of things. Let me, let me give you a few of those. Crediting Grentz and Frankie for helping him see the light, Back in September 2003, he wrote this. 
how I changed my mind, theological method. I'm going somewhere, stick with me, you're doing great. He says, I have been forced upon deeper reflection about theological method to give up what I call epistemological certitude. Here's basically what he's saying. Knowledge is not, you can't be certain in knowledge. He says, I've given up. I've given up that. He goes on to explain, reformed dogmaticians and teachers on the conservative side seek a steady, unshakable, and certain knowledge. Amen to that. I want a steady, certain, and unshakable knowledge. I don't want to wake up every morning and it be changing. That's the conservative side of it. John Frankie suggests that the agenda employed by such theologians glorifies reason and defies science. Sound familiar? I have changed my mind about the way to do theology, and I confess that I now agree with Frankie's conclusion. And here's what he comes to. He talks about how far he's moved. If there is a foundation, next slide there, Nick, if there is a foundation in Christian theology, and I believe that there must be, then it is not found in script, church, scripture, tradition, or culture. Well, the, the last two he got right. But he's dead wrong about scripture and the church, assuming that the church is preaching scripture. If scripture is not the foundation for Christian doctrine, my friends, what is? You okay? You all right? If we don't go to the Bible to govern our life, then what's going to govern us? I realize that this, I, I get it, this isn't, this isn't popular. I get that, you know, that, that, that you go to some of these conferences around the world and they, they, they eat up Frankie and Grant's type of stuff because you know what? It meets the millennial postmodern society. They love it. I don't want to be arrogant, but to the glory of God, may we always stand here. Armstrong's answer, next quote there, echoes the central thesis of beyond foundationalism. If we must speak of foundations for Christian faith and its theological enterprise, then we must speak only of the triune God as disclosed in polyphonic fashion through Scripture, the church, and even the world. The polyphonic is going to kind of give you an idea of kind of you have multiple sounds here. You've got the guitar and you have the viola and maybe someday we'll even have more and they all, they all are kind of together. In other words, if we want to know what God says, we've got to listen to it all. We, what, is, what is culture telling us about God? What is the world telling us about God? John said in John 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Jesus said, excuse me, Thy word is true. First Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the... Talk to me. True. The pillar and ground of it. The kind of the keeper of it. So they want uncertainty. So you know what they did? They abandoned the foundations. They abandoned orthodoxy. 
And they've also now abandoning certainty. They don't want anyone to be certain about anything. But let me give you a third point. Number three, the gift of truth. The gift of truth. Armstrong, Grants, Frankie, and the emerging postmodernists have blurred the line between certainty and omniscience. They seem to presume that if we cannot know everything perfectly, and I get that, we can't, we really cannot know anything with any degree of certainty. I don't buy that. I don't believe that's the case. No, we don't, we don't see everything clearly. We looked at a few weeks ago how we are still kind of looking through a glass dimly. I, I get that. We don't understand everything. We don't see things perfectly clearly. But it is an appalling argument to the postmodern mind, but it is entirely at odds with what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians 2.16 for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, that is in no way to suggest, of course, that we have exhaustive knowledge. But we do have infallible knowledge of what Scripture reveals, as the Spirit of God teaches us. You can open from Genesis 1 to the end of the book of Revelation and you can be certain right here. Certain with what the Word of God says. I realize it's not popular. I realize that, honestly, the, some, uh, some upcoming, upcoming messages goes absolutely against the entire grain of our society. And I'm going to ask you to pray for me that I would stand on the Word of God. And that I, would, that I would be willing to biblically proclaim them. You say, why are you putting them on the website? Because I just said, God, you do whatever you want with it. But is there some fear? Is there some scare? Of course there is. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You and I were to freely know it. We're freely to stand on it. Well, what has God given to us? God has given us his word. The fact that our knowledge grows fuller and deeper and we all sometimes change our minds about some things. Maybe some more light is shed on a situation. Doesn't mean that everything that we know is uncertain. Doesn't mean that it's all outdated. Or that we need an overhaul every few years. First John chapter 2, verse 20 says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. The message coming from a postmodern evangelical is, honestly, it's exactly the opposite of that. They say certainty is overrated. They say assurance is arrogant. Better to keep changing your mind and keep your theology in a constant state of flux. And by their message, the age-old war against truth has moved right into the Christian community. And the church has become the very battleground for what truth is.
even if I may be as bold as I desire to be, but also as gracious as I always want to be. I think very few in the church today are prepared for the fight. We need to be in a state of operational readiness. We need to be armed with the right weaponry and equipped with the right battle plan. And so I'm going to encourage you, unless you're, unless you're out of town next week, and I, I, I'm going to encourage every single one of you to be here next week. Because next week is going to be the warfare in the church. How can you and I equip ourselves for this? Remember last week I talked about how you and I, we need to be speaking truth in every single conversation that we're in. Well, we've got to know what the truth is. That means we've got to get into the Word. And one series is no way can exhaust everything in here and to know everything. But we need to know where the battle lines are being drawn. And you and I, we need to be equipped to be able to fight this all-out war that is going on against the truth. Most don't like to fight. Most, and I'm certainly one of them at times, we try to stick our heads in the sand and, and do nothing. No, we can't do nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, we must be willing to speak the truth. We must be willing to share the truth in the conversations in which we live. So is uncertainty the new truth? No. The Lord said, I am the Lord and I change not. The word of God will never change. It transcends culture. It transcends time. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, you know what? Hey, I've got a little bit of uncertainty about eternity. I've got a little bit of uncertainty. Am I going to, well, what's going to happen when I die? Find the truth in the word. You find it in Jesus Christ. You trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then all of a sudden you're standing on a solid, firm rock for the rest of eternity. Hopefully that's your life and hopefully you've made that decision if you haven't let today be that day don't don't walk out these doors not knowing they say uh, ryan I, I i've been here for months no no no. don't walk out without making that decision christian it's time that we all take up the proper weaponry and we are armed with truth out in the world please please it's kind of a two-part message please come back next week as we look at the at the weaponry for the war in which we've been placed on the front lines of the church. Let's pray. Father, Lord.